Oh. Well, that was lovely. Good morning, everybody. It is a good morning to be in church, isn't it? It's beautiful out. It's basically summer, and it feels good. I just love this. It's Bob Paul's 50th birthday. Wow, what a morning. It doesn't get better than that. I'll tell you what, 50 years old, Bob. It's hard to even imagine. This morning, we're talking about anxiety, and this is I'm really excited about this. There is just some absolutely wonderful scripture we're going to be talking about. And I love the leadership that the Bible gives us. I love so much that we have this anchor in this world. Oh, man, I'm really excited about this. Life is full of pretty freaky kids, uh, kids, things. (laughs) Also really freaky kids. (laughs) As a little kid... (laughs) I, uh, I used to worry about some pretty weird things. I used to worry about getting married because when you wake up in the morning, there's a girl in your bed, and that's pretty freaky. I used to worry about the fact that you wake up, there's a girl, and you have messy hair. Like, that's a freaky thing for a little kid. So I probably prayed about that, and I guess the Lord answered that prayer. So lesson learned. Be careful what you pray for. <laughs> I used to also worry about having to pee while I'm playing hockey. I did the math on this. It takes me 10 minutes to get my hockey equipment off, but when I have to go pee, I have two minutes tops. So that is a freaky thought. You're playing, and it's like, I hope I don't have to go. I've got two minutes. It takes ten minutes. One time, I actually peed my pads playing goalie. Last time I ever played. I just assumed that you're wearing all this equipment. You could just go. No one will ever know. No, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) I used to worry about riding a bike. Think about a bike for a second for a little kid. It just doesn't make sense that the thing works. It doesn't make sense. And so I thought it'd be good to have a little bit of a morning pep talk from a kid who just learned how to ride a bike. It's also my favorite YouTube video, so I'm just gratuitously throwing it into the message. Check this out. I feel, I feel. Do you feel alive? I feel, I feel feel happy of myself. I feel happy of yourself too. What do you got, any words of wisdom? What about for all the other kids trying to learn how to ride their bike? Can you say anything to them? Thumbs up. Thumbs up, everybody. All right. For rock and roll. <laughs> there you go. Man, I don't know how you could watch that and not be happy. I feel less anxious already. Wow. Our world is a very vastly different world than it was even a generation ago. Uh, in our youth ministry, one thing that is a common theme for prayer with pretty much every single one of our students is this idea of anxiety. Um, It's just one of those things that they've been walking in. And we we spoke about it on our L.A. trip a couple years ago. I brought it up, and it was amazing how out of this group of about 150 kids, nearly all of them were just in near tears at the thought of just living this life with this anxiety that they have. I was just speaking to Carl, who's a teacher, and he said it's the same thing in the classroom, and it's the same thing in our churches. Just a generation ago, it was very different for our kids to be brought up 
It seems like back then, you would usually take upon the occupation of your father. Your life was sort of pretty normal and stress-free. Lots of decisions were made for you. As a girl, there was an expectation that you'd become a mother. There was just a lot of different life decisions back then that don't exist today. And what sociologists are saying is that now in this world where we have 10,000 options for who we will marry... 10,000 options for the occupation that we will have, what happens is that in saying no to 999,000 of them, we're saying no to potential positive outcomes, and it creates extreme anxiety. Just the raw number of decisions we have is creating this. Further, our media is blasting us with thousands of ads a day, all designed to make us discontent with what we previously have. We live in a state of constant questioning our situation and reevaluating. And this creates so much anxiety in us. Our news media is designed to filter out positive stories and focus on the negative stories. Am I right? So now we hear every single bear attack in the entire world. And if you're afraid of bears, you hear of them all and assume you're about to get attacked by bears. We hear every single negative story from around the world. And it's creating a lot of anxiety within us. We've been trained to worry about everything. Charles Spurgeon said this. I love this. He says that we suffer far more in merely dreading these possible events than we would have to endure if they ever happened. We spend our time worrying about these events. This is an epidemic and it's destroying our lives and it's undercutting our very faith. We are the children of God. And as children of God, we don't need to walk in anxiety. The opposite of love, we understand that, that's hate. The opposite of light, that's darkness. But the opposite of anxiety is faith. And the problem with that is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And without faith, we are spiritually crippled. We can't live the lives that God has called us to live if we walk in anxiety. God desires that we have no anxiety in our life. This is his desire for us. And you can walk out of this room free from anxiety. I know it is the truth because the church is the authority on this. Of all the things in the world, we are the authority on peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. That's our daddy. He's the Prince of Peace. The fruit of the Spirit includes joy and peace. Jesus all throughout Scripture says, do not be anxious about anything. He says, fear not. It's this invitation that he's given us that is unbelievable. This is our inheritance as followers. Look at our forerunners. They're the most courageous men and women you can imagine. Daniel stood up to Herod. He would not worship an idol. Instead, he boldly chose the lion's den. He didn't know what was going to happen in the lion's den, but he chose it because of his trust for God was so immense. And Habakkuk, the prophet, After he sees that Daniel never got eaten, our church history tells us that he brought a bowl of stew into the lion's den to give to him. Man, courage runs in our veins. This is who we are. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul encourages us to be filled with the Spirit. He's actually calling us to be filled with courage and boldness. The Hebrew word ruach, which means spirit or breath, can also be translated as courage. This is our inheritance. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were threatened by throwing, being thrown into a fiery furnace if they did not worship the foreign idol. They said, go ahead. The God we serve is able. 
But even if he doesn't save us, we won't do this because we trust our lives entirely to him. If he saves us, that's what we would prefer. But even if he doesn't, fine. That's okay because our eternity is secure and there's no fear for death. Many of us put our dreams or passions on hold because either we're worried about being useful to God, we're worried about where he might send us, or else we're worried about our finances. We're worried about how God will provide. And so often, we put fear in the place of God and we miss out on being used in his kingdom. We haven't lived our passions because we stop attempting things that only God can accomplish, and we only attempt things that man can accomplish. We foresee potential negative outcomes, and we attempt things that we know we can do without saying, I wonder what God could do in this situation. Imagine if I walked into this free of fear. What could the outcome actually look like? Wow. We chase safety at all costs in our lives. We just want the safest route instead of perhaps the route of greatest impact. And so we haven't seen the good shepherd in action in a long time because the good shepherd, when does he pounce into action? When there is enemy around. When there is potential negative outcome around. This is why I wanted to name my boy Caleb. We ended up calling him Owen. But his middle name is Caleb. And I often tell him and remind him that his middle name is Caleb and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 warriors that spied out Canaan. Ten came back terrified, gripped with fear. They saw all of the barriers. They were so stricken with anxiety. They had no courage. It was Joshua and Caleb that came back and said, you know what? The God that we serve is able. We sure can't do this, but God can do this. I want my boy to be like that. I want my daughter to be like that. The God who created the universe dwells within us. And he has an amazing invitation for us, and that is courage. This is our heritage, and this is your inheritance. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your inheritance. If you walk in anxiety, it's not your burden to bear. Perhaps you were born with a perfectionist personality type. Perhaps you were born an introvert. And sometimes we take these natural bents as crutches and say, this is who I am. And so anxiety and worry is a part of who God created me to be. And that is not the truth. He is the Prince of Peace. And he does desire that we walk free of anxiety. That is his desire for us as his church. I need to make a very important disclaimer. I believe that Jesus can break absolutely any chain at all. I believe that because the fruit of the Spirit includes peace and that he is the Prince of Peace, he can free everybody from anxiety and worry. But not all anxiety is the same. I had a friend who came across an accident and when he got into the vehicle, there was a boy um, who was driving. He just turned 16, and he was dying, and, and he knew this boy very, very well. And he held him as the boy died. And this stretch of the highway has created a tremendous amount of anxiety in this man. This is post-traumatic stress disorder. This triggers painful reactions in similar circumstances. This is not the anxiety that I'm speaking of. I'm also not speaking about biolo biological chemical imbalance. If you have anxiety as a result of chemical imbalance, I would never recommend to get off your meds. 
If somebody has diabetes, we wouldn't say, stop taking insulin. It's the same thing. And if you're seeking wise counsel in dealing with anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder, I would never recommend stop seeking wise counsel. God has put great godly counselors in our lives for a reason. And further, if you struggle with anxiety and you are a drug user, I'm talking illegal drugs, the primary side effect of drugs, especially marijuana, is anxiety. Sometimes we just have to follow Jesus and trust him, and that includes what we put into our bodies. So I would recommend there's nothing you can do if you don't stop sinning in that way. Let's just pause and pray. At the end of the day, who cares what the opinion of man would be? Who cares about the philosophy of the age? I want the wisdom of the eternal God. And let's just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. Jesus, we trust you. You are the Prince of Peace. And you desire to give us your spirit and to fill us with your spirit, which brings us courage, not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. Jesus, we trust that this is our heritage, God, as we read the entire Bible, as we go through the Old Testament. We see, God, that these heavenly witnesses are men and women of courage. And so, Jesus, I pray that that would be our reality today. And, God, I pray that in this room you would renew our minds, that lies that we have believed, God, would be transformed by your Holy Spirit. Oh, Jesus, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us unbelievable invitations in your word. Yeah, amen. Uh, a couple of my heroes in the whole world live in Vernon, and it's John and Eloise Bergen. Many of you know their story. I speak about it quite often. About five years ago, when they were in Africa, they were attacked, and, and John was um, nearly killed with machetes, and they... they piled furniture upon him, and they went into the house, and Eloise was in the bath, and they sexually abused her and tried to kill her. And if you Google their name, um, there's a bunch of Castanet articles on them, and there's also a bunch of YouTube videos, and their testimonies are unbelievable. They asked Eloise, they asked her about um, the encounter with these men in the bathroom and how that was for her, and this is what she said to the cameras. She said, I had a secret. She said, they couldn't touch the real me. She said, a warm pillow of his protection came all around me. She describes this moment that should have created the most anxiety that you could ever imagine as being this moment where God completely took over. And then she started quoting Psalm 23. This is a psalm that we hear so often that I think perhaps it loses its meaning. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Listen to this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is, this is a symbol and a metaphor of unbelievable peace. When I follow the shepherd, who is the Alpha and the Omega, he leads me to green pastures, complete peace. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, this isn't death that King David is trying to get out here. This isn't death. 
This is something very different. The Valley of the Shadow of Death was a real place that was a very dangerous route that they would have to travel. And bandits were there, and predators were there, um, like predatory animals. And it was a very real place. So this is day-to-day worries and day-to-day fears. He says, even though I might walk through this valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is what Eloise was speaking about. Even in the midst of the most anxious moment of my life, the good shepherd was there. Wow. His leadership leads to peace. And sometimes we ask, how does this look practically? How does this look in my day-to-day? It's the year 2015. There's real worries that we have with our family, with our finances, with just our life, with disease, with illness, you name it. How does it look for me today to actually follow the Good Shepherd? How do I do that? Check out this scripture. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. It's beautiful. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Wow, it's, the invitation is there over and over and over. Do not be anxious. He's inviting us into that. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about this. Do not be anxious about that. It is the most beautiful invitation. One of my good friends is, is Pat Aylard, and um, when he got back from Africa, it was one of those times where he was just trusting that this job that he had would be there. And, and one time I came to the church, and he was sitting in the parking lot in his van, and, and I could tell that he wanted to talk, so I got in the passenger seat, and he looked at me smiling and he said, I just got laid off from my job. And I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. And he was like, I'm so excited about what God's going to do now. <laughs> I'm so excited about how he's going to provide. We get to watch God move. He was just so full of faith. Man, this is unbelievable. We can't serve both God and money. If we put our faith in anything besides God, if our security is in anything but him, if it's in our health, or if it is in our finances, if it's in our children, or our family, or anything, it will create anxiety. 
anything besides him will create anxiety because everything else is shifting like the sand that Jesus spoke of. Moth and rust destroy what we have here on earth. If our faith is in anything but Christ, anxiety is the result. Pat is a man that actually trusts God. His faith was not in this job. It was not in a retirement plan. It was actually in Jesus. And this response is so godly and it's so rare. Because the bottom line is that we in the West have anxiety because we do not trust God. I do not trust you, God, that you want what's best for me. I think I know better. I don't trust that you will be enough for me. I think I need more. I see what that person has and that person has, and I think I'd be happier if I had that. And I don't trust that you will provide for me. So I have to take it and I have to do it myself because I don't trust that you will. And this is the sinful nature, and it is pride, and it creates anxiety, and it is sin. Instead of following the Good Shepherd and this invitation of laying in green pastures and besides still waters, I worry. And Jesus says, can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to his life? We have this idea that worrying is actually doing work, that it's of value, that it's being responsible, laying in bed and thinking, if I worry about all these things, then I'm being diligent. Man, that is such a lie. Anne Voskamp, in her book, she wrote a beautiful book on anxiety. She said, worry is the facade of taking action when prayer really is. Let me repeat that. Worry is the facade of taking action when prayer really is. First Peter says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. See, prayer is the ultimate act of humility. It's saying, I can't do this, and I trust you, and I have to give it to you because I can't do it. There's no period in the original Greek text here. It says that we humble ourselves by casting our anxiety upon him. It should be one sentence. Humble yourself and cast your anxiety upon him. It is pride to think that we can deal with it better. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and I also happen to be the alpha and the omega. Do you think I can handle your little problems? He says, come to me, all you are labored and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. But how do we do this? How do we actually put legs to this? How do we actually trust God in prayer? Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, and here's the key, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This is profound. I'm about to present to you a profound truth that perhaps is the deepest and most crazy theological concept, but at the outset, it sounds like an oversimplification, like, wow, that's really, you know, you obviously don't understand life. But in every situation, present your request to God with thanksgiving. This is what the Eucharist is. When we take communion, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, signifying what was about to happen to him, and he gave thanks. The Greek word is eucharistio, which means thanksgiving. Jesus took the bread and he said, thank you, God, that I'm going to have spikes rammed through my hands, that I'm going to be tortured, that you're going to turn your face away from me. Thank you for it. This is a posture of total trust. I realize what I'm about to endure is terrible. Thank you because I trust you. 
I trust you that the outcome is for my good and for the good of others. This is unbelievable. You thank someone that you know that loves you, that you trust is working out whatever it is for your good. When I was 15 years old, I broke my leg, and I remember the entire thing really vividly. It was a really turning point in my life, and um, this was a year that I was really hoping to play on this hockey team um, called Team BC, and I was really excited about maybe going to Vancouver that year. And I'm going in on a breakaway, and I get hip-checked, and I go flying into the net, and I knew my leg was broken. My femur was broken in half, and I'm laying in the net. My leg is completely crooked. No one really knows what's happened yet. And I say, God, uh, see what's happening here? I really need to go and play on this team. So heal my leg. I won't tell anybody. Me and you. Just between me and you, God. Nothing happens. So I kind of like, oh, I make my way to the bench. And it's just, you know, I'm on the bench by myself. And I'm like, okay, God, here's sort of a last chance. I see my dad coming. You can heal this before he sees it. And I'm just like, God, please heal my leg, heal my leg, heal my leg. And he didn't. And I lost my whole year. And I stayed in Grand Forks the whole year. I was so upset about the situation. I thought that I knew way better than God. But here's the thing is that that summer I met Jesus at camp. And that next year I met Melissa who was going to be my wife. And had I had it my way, I probably would have missed out on everything that God had for me because I thought I knew better in my pride and in my sin. And God answered my prayer in his way because he's sovereign, isn't he? And I think he knows a lot better. But a posture of thanksgiving is absolutely powerful. It communicates deep trust. Even in our worst situation, saying, you know what? Here's my request. It makes sense to me that you would answer this, but thank you for the outcome, no matter what, because I trust you. You are the good shepherd. I trust you that you love me. I trust you that you will look out for my good. You see, peace comes from a thankful heart. Peace comes from a thankful heart. A couple of months ago, there were a couple of youth pastors who were in Washington, and they were driving underneath an overpass, and the overpass collapsed, and I think you've all seen this story. They died instantly, and I was really concerned about their church and their youth ministry, like it's a one in a bazillion encounter that happened, and I was really, I guess, praying that their, that their youth would not be disillusioned with God, and I looked at their Facebook page, and just post after post after post of thanksgiving, of saying, thank you, Jesus, that we got to spend time with them. Thank you, Jesus, that you hold the keys to death. Thank you that they are with you. Just thanksgiving after thanksgiving. Wow. And this comes from discipline. Do You see, this isn't the natural human response. Our natural human response is pride, is I know better than you, God. It is anxiety. That's our natural response. It comes with discipline to have thanksgiving. Paul says, I have learned to be content. Not, I got saved and I'm content. Uh-uh. I learned. Even Paul has to learn. Even Paul had to take baby steps toward contentment. Man, that's encouraging to me. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed in us. Stephen is getting martyred. He's getting stones thrown at him until he dies. And he sees a vision of Jesus on the throne and his face shines like the sun. He sees his future. He sees who is on the throne. And his face shines like the sun. 
in the most anxious of situations. Because when you know what the future looks like, if you know how the whole story ends, it's hard to be anxious in the middle of it, isn't it? Wow. Your life is already mapped out. Every event, every step, even your death is already mapped out. Psalm 139 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's kind of like this. Imagine you're walking in a graveyard and you come across a tombstone and on the tombstone is a book. And you pick up the book and it is that person's entire life and you can read everything about it, their birth, everything in the middle to their death. Because now you are outside of the time of their life, you can view their life after the fact. This is the same way it is with us. God can view our life before it, during it, and after it as if in a book because he is outside of time. It doesn't affect our free will in the middle of it because he is outside of time. But the fact is this, is that our life is already mapped out. We do have free will in the middle of it and it is beautiful, but the end is done and our life is entirely in his hand and he said that our life is bathed in his love, and he says that his plan for us is good. And so we can simply rest in that. He is a good God that loves you entirely. And when we pray thankfully, we reveal our trust to him. When John is on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation chapter 4, he's been boiled in hot oil. All of the disciples are dead but him. He's all by himself. Death is all around him. And he sees a vision. It's the throne room and God is at the center. And around the throne room, there's 24 thrones. And guess who's on those thrones? The elders. They're dressed in white and they have crowns. And in Revelation 21, it reveals that those elders all along are his church. This is John himself. John has a future that is secure. It is in the throne room. And as he is laying in prison, he gets to see a glimpse of it. And he has overwhelming hope. It changes everything. It changes the way that he prays. It's now out of thanksgiving. Because our hope is what frees us. They did a study on rats. And this is what they found. They found that if you put rats in a bucket full of water, that they will live for approximately 15 minutes and then drown. 15 minutes. But they found that if you take the rats out of the water at the 15-minute mark when they're about to drown, dry them off, feed them, and put them back in, guess how long they last now? 60 hours. They can go 15 minutes without hope, 60 hours with hope, thinking that at any moment salvation will be there. At any moment they will be pulled out. This is the life that we have as followers of Jesus. Our hope is secure. We are in the throne room. We are around the throne of God. We are by the sea of glass. Do you guys see what I'm saying? So John in prison is so full of hope because this is his future. This is what he's going to be looking forward to. My goodness. The 2002 Olympic hockey game was so anxiety-ridden for me. I hated the game. We ended up winning, praise the Lord. But a couple of months ago, I found it on on TV, and I watched it again, and I was like, man, this is an, actually an awesome game. I never enjoyed it at all, because I was worried the whole time. Now that I know the outcome, it's so fun to watch. 
This is the same as our lives. We know the outcome. We don't have to worry. Our lives are written in the book already. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're a follower of Christ, your salvation is as secure as the salvation of Christ himself. This is so beautiful. And when we pray with thanksgiving, we're saying, you know what? Man, you transcend everything. And a peace that passes understanding can be mine. In the midst of the most severe anxiety, I can have total peace. I want to show you this video. Check this out. In a world so hurting and so full of anxiety, we have Jesus, the hope of glory. When John in Revelation 1 sees Jesus, he, he falls and he becomes so afraid. And Jesus approaches him and says, do not be afraid. I hold the keys to death. Do not fear even death itself. And in this world, that is so desperate for truth and so desperate for hope, we know the one who brings hope, don't we? We know the one, and hope is so powerful, is it not? Man, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. No evil. This is the news that the world needs to hear from the church. This is the news that the world needs to see from us. Peace that passes understanding. 
Ignatius, who's one of John's disciples, was sentenced to death by lions. And the reports are that Ignatius knew he was going to get eaten alive by lions in the morning, but he went to bed giddy that night. He prayed these thankful prayers because he knew that these lions were going to deliver him into the hands of his Savior. This is what he said. He wrote that he considers the lions to be dear friends, delivering me to my Savior, he says. Wow. Our thankfulness communicates that we recognize where life comes from, that God is always good, that I am always loved, and Eucharistio is how Jesus shows us to walk this out in life. I thank you for this. I thank you for what's about to happen because I can trust you with it. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. You hear that? Rejoice in the Lord always. In every situation, rejoice in him. Because it's impossible to give thanks and simultaneously feel fear. It's impossible to thank God for the situation in life and then to feel fear. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the church is the authority on courage and peace. It is. And you, as his follower, are the authority in this world. When we gather and we sing songs of thanksgiving, anxiety flees. When we magnify his power and his love, we elevate our trust and anxiety flees. There's a young man in our pursuit congregation who has been dealing with um, anxiety that has just crippled his life. He couldn't leave the house. And someone convinced him to come to church. And he came. And during worship, when he remembered that this is the God that loves him and is all-powerful and almighty, he was delivered. God completely changed his life. That's why church is so important. When we sing, there is power in our words. It's not only spiritual warfare because we're proclaiming truth, but we are elevating him in this place. And I'll tell you what, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And the closer to God you get, the further your anxiety gets from you. The closer to God you get, the more you trust him. The closer to God you get, the more that the troubles of this world seem small. And so we need to be a people that are so close to God and so full of the Spirit because we will be people that are free. This is what he desires for me and for you. Worry is a facade of taking action when prayer really is. Thankful prayer. And so now we're going to take part in the Eucharist. We're going to take the bread and we're going to thank him that we get to share in his death and that we get to participate in our own death to self and thank him for it and say we trust you entirely. And so I encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus... If you want to follow the good shepherd, if that's your life, then I invite you, we're going to sing a couple of songs to come forward and, and just take part in this. Take the bread, take the juice, and go back to your seat and just thank him for the leadership in your life. Thank him that there is hope in this mighty Savior. And take part in the Eucharist yourself. I'm going to pray and then I invite you just to come forward during any of these two songs. You don't have to come all up at once. Let's just thank him and worship him. Jesus, we have incredible hope. God, we know that we've been rescued. 
We know the one who holds the keys to death. We know how the story ends. We can be like John on Patmos in the midst of despair and we can see the glory of our future, Jesus. And God, we can trust you entirely because your leadership gives us peace, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that truly walk beside still waters, God, and green pastures, Lord. That in the midst of our enemies, you you make a banquet for us. We can completely relax and rest. Jesus, I pray for deep rest in this group. Just a deep trust in our shepherd. Just a deep trust in the one who has delivered us and who does love us and who has beautiful plans for us. God, we rest in that and we thank you. God, now as we take part in this ancient tradition, God, I just pray that your spirit would be here, God, that you would search our hearts. God, that you'd reveal areas in our life where we're not quite trusting you with God and that you'd give us courage, Jesus, by your spirit. God, I pray for courage in this room. Thank you for your word and thank you for your body. We love you so much. Amen.